morning. My name is Pastor Ben, as Kyle said. I am the multiplication and networking pastor here at Grace Point. Um, it might surprise some of you to learn and know as you look at me and, and, and stare at me that I am not much of a hiker. I, uh, I've been married for 13 years to Ab, my wife Abby, and we, I think, had always had this dream that we thought we were going to be like hikers and adventurers and campers, and we're not. Um, we went camping last summer with the fam and we, we rented an RV. It's like, oh, we, can we be an RV family? And the answer was very quickly, no. We came back two days early, actually, uh, from it. We're not adventurous people. We're simple people. And I love being simple. Super chill. I mean, what you see is what you get with, with me and my wife. But there's occasional times where I will enter into adventure. Because I don't mind change. I actually like change. I like seeing or hearing about new things. Um, I'm just not in shape. Uh, so uh, 10 years ago, <laughs> 10 years ago, I was a counselor for a fifth grade camp out at Storm Mountain. And Storm Mountain is just outside of Rapid City. It's a Methodist camp, beautiful, beautiful campground. Uh, but a tradition with this camp is that they would wake the kids up really early one morning and we'd go and we would climb and summit this, this peak, uh, Storm Mountain, to be able to see uh, the sunrise as it come up. So like, again, this is not my thing, but I was forced to go because I was a counselor, so I had to make sure the kids were safe. Um, so we went up, and 75% of the path, it was, like, it was a path. Like, it was just 75% of the way up. It was easy going, walking through it. Then the last 25% was like, I'm hanging onto trees trying to climb this. It wasn't even probably that steep, but I just, I was struggling. Um, the kids are running past me. Uh, we get to the last, like, 5%, and it's just rock, so you got to, like, finagle your way very carefully up to this rock, but you get to a spot where you're able to oversee just this beautiful landscape. And I don't know if you've ever summoned anything. You've been on the top of anything. You just looked out, um, especially at a sunset or a sunrise, and you've just seen creation in, in like all its glory and beauty. Um, when, when you see an amazing picture, when you see that image, especially in person, it just kind of like build some thoughts and feelings within you that like maybe you've never experienced before. I was looking over this and there was just wonder that was there. There was, there was inspiration. There was awe. There was fear. Um, there was fear, but it was amazing. It was beautiful. We're continuing in the Art of Unordinary sermon series. Um, and I get to open up a psalm today that is one of my favorite psalms. I think if you've been in the church around Jesus, you've most likely at least heard a lot of verses from this psalm. You've maybe read it. Some of you probably memorized this psalm. But it's known as the summit of the scriptures for some theologian. That when you open up and you read these truths, you can't help but just be in awe, inspired. Questions get raised. There's clarity in some things, maybe even some confusion in others, but you can't help but just be awestruck by the truths that are revealed in this psalm. And it's Psalm 139. And this morning, we're going to go through four specific truths that David points out for us in Psalm 139. So as we get started, just even as before we get going, this psalm beautifully depicts who God is, who we are. The relationship which he desires and wants us to have. The attributes of God in different ways and, and the way he goes about treating us seeing us, uh, and honestly loving us. So we're going to enter into this four different truths. If you have a Bible, uh, go and open up to Psalm 139. We're going to read verses one through six right now, and we're going to go through this. Let's read this together. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. 
You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So the first truth that David points out for us is that God's knowledge of you is comprehensive. It's all-encompassing. He knows all the things. And it's not even close. David uses this imagery and these words of search and know. Like, it's something that David says God just does. Now, the reality of who God is is that he does know everything. But there's something special about what David wants to point out here that we need to grasp and understand as we read the scripture. I wonder, do you ever wonder, like, and wrestle with the question, does God care? Does he love me? Does he really know me? We live in the age of influencers, right? Celebrities, athletes, all these people have these like large followings. And if you hear them long enough, you'll eventually hear them say something along the lines of how much they love their fans. And it makes me wonder and question and think like, how can you love a mass group of people? I think in general, you can have a general sense of loving a massive group of people, but to really love, to choose every single day that you're going to in some sacrificial way, serve and be with someone, how can you do that if you don't know them? I think in order for us to really know someone, you have to love them. In order to really love someone, you have to get to know them. There has to be intentionality. David writes that the Lord has searched him and know him. Yes, God knows everything, but the one thing that David wants to point out that he wants us to grasp and understand is that God has intentionally chosen to know you, to search you. Does he know other things? Yes. But even just that idea, I can't fully comprehend, but that he wants to know me, that he wants to know every aspect, not just wants, he does. This, this theology, there's a word for this. It's called that God is omniscient. Um, which means that God is all-knowing. So we can think, I think for me at least, I get this vague picture and imagery of that God, like in being all-knowing knows, at least for me, it's a vague idea of like, he just kind of knows all the things about everything. I don't ever go to the personal. David points out that in God's omniscience, in his all-knowingness, he chooses to know us personally. First person verbs, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. Every move that we make, every step we take, he's watching. That is a song. That's okay. But it's not in a creepy thing, right? It's not the Santa Claus sees you when you're sleeping, knows when you're awake. Like, that's weird. It's a like intentional, purposeful, I'm for you, I care about you, I love you, I know you. I've searched you. And it's not a, 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 a puppet master or, or an evil creator and God who is just trying to find certain things that we've done wrong. So it's like, I know all the things about you. He's not waiting to see and make sure like we don't screw up. He's not forcing us to, to walk on eggshells around him. He's letting us know his heart for us that he knows and searches. When, when David uses this word search in the Hebrew, I'm not going to say it because I'll butcher it. Uh, it brings up three different images and three different thoughts. One, this idea of search is like a miner who is digging deep to find coal and diamonds and gold. Uh, another image is an adventurer which again, I said I'm not, but like think if like you're an adventurer and you come across new land, land that has never been explored, are you not gonna do everything you can to find out everything about that land, to search it and to know it every 
piece of landscape. You're going to search. The last one is this, brings up this image of a lawyer who, who's digging deep into, into a legal document, trying to find just the right specific information that will help him with the case. Searching and knowing it's intimate, it's extensive. It brings about this idea of he's penetrating to the deepest understanding of our own thoughts and motives. So when David says, you understand my thoughts, we could express it like, God, you know what I think even before I think it. God knows what we really believe about him, not just what we say about him. He knows where we stand. He knows what our real opinions are. God knows our motives and he knows our motives underneath the motives. He knows our fears, our frustrations, our irritations, our vulnerabilities, vulnerabilities, our dreams, our hopes, our weaknesses, our strengths. God knows what we're going to say before we say it, what we're going to do before we do it. Jesus put it this way, and this is how intimate God knows us. Jesus said that the Father knows the amount of hairs that you have on your head. He knows you. He knows you. And in that knowing, he's he's chosen to pursue you, to love you, is why he knows you and wants to keep knowing you and wants you to know him. He knows all the bad, the ugly, the good, thoughts I have, things I've thought about him, things I've said. He knows the things that I've never even said of what I think about God sometimes when moments are hard, when life is tough. And yet, he's chosen love. Scripture says that his mercies are new every morning and he knows my deepest regrets and fears and ugliness and he chooses love. God searches us because to love someone personally is to know them intimately. God doesn't say, I love you to a nameless, faceless group of people. He doesn't really know. God knows us inside and out. And knowing us, he says, I love you enough to send my son to die for Second truth that we see in this, is, it starts in verse seven. It says this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. The second truth is that God's presence is constant. God's presence is constant, without interruption, always there. Can feel really overwhelming if you think about it but it's incredibly intentional and purposeful. David starts off in verse seven. He says like, where can I go from your presence? Like where literally can I flee? There are times in life for us, no matter what we're going through, where we kind of choose and decide that we're just not gonna do it with God. Maybe it's a day, maybe it's a moment. Maybe for some of you, it's been a season. Maybe it's, it's sin in our life where it's just like, I'm just kind of gonna keep this away from him. And I wanna, want him to not see this, even though he knows and sees it. Maybe you've had some expectations about what church is supposed to be like or what faith is supposed to be like or what, what reading your Bible is supposed to be like or what praying is supposed to feel like and you have these expectations and all of a sudden your reality doesn't meet those expectations and you get frustrated. And, and sometimes we choose like, I'm just gonna flee, I'm gonna run, I'm not gonna do that anymore. Like there are moments in life where we choose to try to run away from God and David is saying, you can't. He's saying, you can't. Then if you go to the heavens where God resides, obviously he's there. But then he makes this statement. He says, if I make my bed in the depths, the Hebrew word for depths there is Sheol, which is literally hell. David's saying, if I make my bed in hell, if I choose to reside there, even there I cannot flee from your presence. 
And it's not just that God is everywhere all the time. It's not just that's a reality and a truth. That's true. It's not just that. It's that because of who he is and who we are, he brings along a side of his presence for us that in those moments where we want to run and flee, he tries to draw us back. Listen to verse 10 here. This is what this says. He says, even there, whether I'm on the wings of the dawn, which is the west, or if I sit on the far side of the sea, which is the east, no matter where I go, in the heavens or hell, east or west, you are there. Even there, your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. Even when we choose to try to run away from him, to want to be separated from him, he's continuously guiding us back because he is always present. Guiding us back into his goodness. Guiding us back into his love. Guiding us back into his truth. Right hand will hold me fast, even when I try to run away. And then there are moments in life where we don't choose to flee. Where it's not our decision to want to be in a moment or a season of life to be separated from God. There are moments in life where things happen to us and we feel as though God is not near and God is not present. David says this, if if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. He said, sometimes darkness happens in life. Sometimes we experience things that are heavy and dark. The Hebrew word here for darkness is a circumstance or situation in which we experience something that brings about great peril or destruction. Sometimes things just happen to us. And we experience and feel God is not near. I, it could be a job uh, promotion that you were promised and didn't get, a relationship with a family member that is broken and distorted and doesn't seem to have any hope. Maybe you've had someone taken away from you who's been killed, accident, sickness, miscarriage. Maybe your marriage is on the brink of just being destroyed. Maybe someone has meant ill and evil for you and you've experienced hurt and pain This is darkness, where things happen and we feel as though God is not near. We feel abandoned and alone, scared. It's hard and it's heavy. But God doesn't leave us there. He encourages David to write the truth about sometimes when we're feeling this darkness. When David says, surely the light's gonna become night around me, even if I'm in that darkness and experience it, there's no way you could be there But David says, the darkness is as a light to you. The night will become like the day, for darkness is as a light. So even when we're experiencing those moments that are hard and heavy, when we really do in our heart believe and feel that God is not present in our own darkness, David says, God reminds us, this is as a light to me. I'm there. I am here. I have not forgotten Take comfort in that truth this morning, that he is everywhere you go, even when you don't feel and believe that he is near. God's attribute of being everywhere isn't Dave's main point. David's main, I say it like I'm his best friend. Isn't David's main point here. It's true. It's real that he's everywhere. But this is how it hits David, that God will pursue him no matter where he goes. 
That's the truth behind God's presence being everywhere and always with us. God loves us with a pursuing love and he will pursue you no matter what you do, where you go, how you try to hide or whatever happens to you. His love is a pursuing love. So we sang that truth in that last song. Your goodness is literally running after me. It is running after me. That is the pursuing love of God. Jesus came and he said, I didn't come to serve, but to, uh, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I think Jesus came to pursue us. And once he fixed and restored and redeemed a relationship that was broke with God that was broken because of sin, we now have the ability, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to pursue him. But the first action and first step was always God pursuing us. No matter what we experience, what we go through, what we choose to do, he is there. And why would he pursue us? The way that David lays out this psalm, the way that God led him to do this and inspired him to do this, he lays it out in the next three verses. Why does God pursue you? Why is he always with you? Why does he want to know you? Why does he love you? Because God wonderfully created you. Some of the most beautiful scripture. He wonderfully created you. This is verse 13. For you created me in my, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. No one knows about something better than the one who engineered or designed it, right? Like if I have a question about a Honda, my car, I I could go to a mechanic and they'll be able to tell me maybe like probably what's wrong with it. But I really wanted to know about the car. I'm going to go to the engineers and the designers of the car. Same thing with a book, right? My wife is super into audiobooks. Super, like just listens to audiobooks all the time. It's really cool because she'll come home and she'll like explain to me and tell me what the book is about and and so then I don't have to read it. Um, but she'll do this and it's awesome. So we can share something a little bit. And then there's times when she shares stuff with me. I'm like, why did they write the story that way? And if I really wanted to know, who would I have to ask? The author. I just write the author. Hey, why did you, why did you design it like this? Why did you create it like this? No one knows about something better than the one who engineered or designed. God knows you better than anyone else because he created you and he created you wonderfully. I think for me, there are times where I think about God, like the creator of the universe. And, and that's what I think. I think these big picture, massive things are like through breath, God created all these things. And yet the Psalm tells us on a personal level with his hands, he knit us together in our mother's womb. And it's intimate and it's wonderful. He said he did it fearfully and wonderfully. And I don't know about you guys, but at least I haven't done this until um, I met my wife and married her. She's a PA. She went through grad school um, and she just loves science in general. And she would come home from especially her anatomy classes and she would just open up a book and start explaining to me like how the body works and what she learned that day. And she'd open up these things and she'd say a million words that I didn't, I don't know if she pronounced them right, she probably did. I just like, I didn't understand them. And she's saying these things, but what struck me was not how cool the body is, because it is, and I'll get to that. What struck me was how awestruck she was by how God created the body, how he made us. Here's just a a few things. Uh, The length of all your blood vessels, if they were lined one after the other, would be able to go around the earth two and a half times. About 80,000 miles of blood vessels. 
The amount of information the brain can store is 200 exabytes. And according to neuroscientists, that's about as much as the entire digital content of today's world. Your liver is the only organ that can completely regenerate itself. You know that your eyes are so powerful that it can uh, detect light from a candle flame that's over 1.7 miles away. Scientists estimate that the nose can recognize about a trillion different scents. And we've all known this and experienced this, like the sense of smell can help actually relate and correlate to memories and past that we've had. And, and so we, we, we smell something and it just goes back in time and we're there like, it's not just our physical body, but the way God made our mind go back and to remember certain senses like that. It's also true that women have a stronger sense of smell than men, which if you're around our house, that's very true. Uh, my wife, who is in dermatology, I guess I'll tell you this one too. Um, the acid in your stomach, this might get kind of gross. The acid in your stomach is strong enough to dissolve metal. And yet the way God created our stomach lining, it doesn't dissolve our stomach. My wife's in dermatology, so she sees a lot of skin and she really likes it, which is weird. Um, <laughs> you know, she loves it and she's great at it. Um, but I'll, I'll like, she'll sometimes come home and do the same thing. She'll see something and, and worries like, saw this today and this is what the body can do. And it's just like, it's really cool. She just, I mean, she literally connects the most with the father, with God through science and through the body and just how things work. And so I asked her this week, I was like, what's like one unique, interesting, cool thing about the body? And she said, kind of quote for four, almost word for word, she said, God basically created us like Wolverine because the skin can heal itself. I don't know about Wolverine, right? Marvel character literally can heal any, any like hurt that's on his body, right? He gets a cut, he gets shot, all those things, heals himself. Now, not to that extent, but God created our body, our skin in a way that it can heal itself. She teaches our daughter this because our daughter, our daughter's like me. We get hurt all the time, running into things, falling down, whatever. Like we, we fall running up the stairs, not down the stairs all the time. And so there's moments where like, we got to comfort her and call her and like, and, and when Alice will get a cut on her hand or something will happen, she'll go to mom and she'll go, it's okay, mom, I know that my body is going to heal itself because that's how God created it. And it's true. She even went so far, like, I didn't ask for this because, she, but because she's so passionate about it. She says, when we get a cut on our hand, the cells outside the wound jump into the center of the wound and start healing itself. Like, that's how it works. I don't get it, but that's incredible. That's how God made us. It says, fearfully and wonderfully, fearfully, intentionally, purposely, he created you because he wanted you. You were made on purpose to know and be known. You were made on purpose to know and be known by God. You are not random. You are not here by chance. Your presence on the planet is neither luck nor mistake. Someone, the Father, God, the Trinity, put you here. Intentionally thought through who you should be and carefully worked to bring that concept to reality. You are a person God knows, God loves, God made. God spoke to Jeremiah. Um, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I, I heard it said this, I don't know if this is last week or the last few weeks as I was prepping for the message. Someone said, every human carries in their own body reasons enough for reverent gratitude. If you're ever looking for a reason to be thankful, grateful, look into how God made you. It's literally, the Bible says, wonderful. Because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Right after that, he says, your works are wonderful. You being a work, a creation of God is wonderful. 
to the point of being fearfully and wonderfully made. God created and made you so wonderfully as in to inspire delight. Like, like an artist would put a painting on a canvas to inspire delight and joy for the people who are going to see it. That is how God created you, to inspire delight. When Jesus was getting baptized, he came out of the water and the heavens opened up. And he said, and the father said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, the father didn't create Jesus because they've both been existing forever. I'm not getting into that. That whole thing is incredible. But what we can take from that reality is that before Jesus did any ministry, before he did any miracle, before he <laughs> preached any sermon, before he discipled the disciples, called them apostles and sent them out, he comes out of the water after being baptized and the father looking down from heaven says, this is my son who I'm well pleased with. And the NLT version says, this is my son who brings me great joy. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You insp inspire delight from the father. You bring joy to his heart because you are his creator. He made you wonderfully, fearfully, intentionally, and purposely. And so we can take even from that the truth that our worth isn't determined by what we do or how much we have. Our worth isn't measured by how many people like us or don't or by how successful we may seem to be. Our worth is determined because we have been created by God, the creator of all things. And he says, you bring him great. And he loves you because he made you. He knows you because he created you. He's with you always, no matter what. We get into the last truth. This last truth is God's challenging us to trust him. God is challenging us to trust him, starting in verse 16. David says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts. God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Two different aspects of how God is challenging us to trust him. One, I believe that God is challenging us to trust him uh, with our future. The word says, Psalm 139 says that every day that we have has been ordained for us. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to me. Uh, some versions say that the days that have been ordained were written in, in some say the book of life, some say the book of providence, which is it gives us the idea that all of our days are ordained. God knows every day that we're going to have. And it's not a robotic, like we have no control over the choices and decisions that we make. It's this reality that our days are underneath the sovereignty and control of the creator of the universe. And when it says they were written in your book, book of life, book of providence, it's a book of protective care. He's saying, I know the days in which you are going to experience. Trust me with your future. Try not to worry about them. As Jesus said, like, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough worry on its own. They're ordained. God, they're under God's control. They're under his protective care. So we're going to go through some days that are going to be terrible. We are going to experience some moments that are hard. So when it says, my days are ordained, written in your book, it's not that God brought about hard things and evil in our life. It's God is saying, going back to the promises before in Psalm 139, I know you, I'm here. Your life is under my care. And I have a plan for you, no matter what evil tries to separate me from you. It gives off this indication that God has laid out a perfect plan for every individual. Every day is ordained. And when David thinks about that, every day is ordained, under his control, under his sovereignty, under his protection, 
that my life is in his hands, David can't help but to praise. And he thinks through, he's like, man, your thoughts about me are crazy. He says, if I were to count them, they would outnumber the sand. It's been said that if I had a, an eight ounce jar of sand, there would be about a million grains of sand in that one cup. A lot of sand. That's the thoughts that God has about you. And they're good. And they're for you. Because he loves you. The second thing that God is trying to challenge us, actually, before I get there, I got I to mention this real quick because it's in the scripture. We have to, it's, it's in the Bible. I'm making this tangent because David and God made this tangent in Psalm 139. David gets aggressive and weird on us. Um, he says this. He says, if only God, you would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. And immediately reading that, you think, man, that doesn't sound like Jesus, who said, love your enemies. Pray, blessing on those who curse you. What David is getting across here is the reality that we all face. I can remember the truths, the truths that God has made me, knows me, and is always with me. But I'm still going to go through life where I'm going to experience evil. The New Testament does tell us that a lot of our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, demonic powers of the world. But sometimes we go through experiences and situations where we experience real evil and pain. And so what David's saying in the midst of these truths and beautiful scripture in this psalm is saying, God, I really hate evil. And I know you hate evil. And even though I experience evil and there's those who want to kill me and there's experiences I have in my life that make me want to die, God, you hate those things too. I hate those things. Get rid of them. Slay the evil. I hate evil. Get away from it. And then he goes right into the final couple of verses. So he says this. He's a moment of honesty. David just expresses. But then he says, but search me and know my heart. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead, in, lead me in the way of everlasting life. He's saying, I got thoughts that I'm going to express and I'm going to give and I'm going to pray. I got questions that I want answers to God, but I don't know if you're going to give them to me. And what I love about the Psalms is it's saying in this, not that it's okay to hate people. It's giving us permission to be real and honest about what we're feeling and what we're experiencing. Because God can handle it. But then it's also challenging us to trust God with our now. Saying, will we be able to pray the prayer, search me and know me, test my anxious thoughts. If there is anything in me that is not of you, get rid of it and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me into your kingdom. Lead me into hope. Lead me into joy. Lead me into love. Lead me into peace. David can be honest about what he is feeling because he has the heart posture, be able to sit and say, God, would you search me, know me, give me the revelation. What is not of me? Help me get rid of it because I want just all of you. And that I think is our challenge for today. That is the art of being an ordinary. Not that the truths aren't true. They're already true. Not that God already searches you and knows you. He already does. It's true for everyone that God has made them and loves them, that he knows them, that he's always with them and always with us. The unordinary is would we be in a spot and would we allow ourselves to say, search me and know me. Test my thoughts. Any anxiety and worry in me, God, would you get rid of it and lead me into everlasting. To surrender, to ask for guidance and leading and direction. That's an ordinary life. 
Because when we do that, I think a few things happen. One, I think I know in my life when I've sat and been honest about to God, and I've really actually asked him to test my thoughts, which he already does. I'm just allowing myself to be aware of what he's trying to tell me. As I search me and know me, almost every time I get to a moment where I realize, man, I need Jesus. I think about my own motives in things, my own sin where I've fallen short. And in those moments, I say, search me, know me, God leads me, reminding me I need Jesus. And then in that, he reminds me that Jesus came down. And where I fell short, he made up the space. He reminds me that in Jesus' death, my sins have been forgiven. And in his resurrection, I've been given new life. And I think another thing happens when we say, search me and know me, God. Lead me into the way everlasting. I think that, especially for David here, and I think for us, God reminds us of these promises and truths that David just laid out in Psalm 139. Search me and know me, God. Test my anxious thoughts. Lead me in your way. Lead me in your, into your kingdom. Lead me into everlasting life. Lead me in what is of you and not of me. I think there's moments when we do that that God reminds us where we're not remembering his promises. And then he gives us the strength to persevere. So I'm gonna invite Pastor Steve um, and, and the team up as we get ready for communion. And so I, just with our takeaway thought this morning, I think the promises that we get reminded of are very simple. God knows you, is with you, made you, and you can trust him. And there are gonna be moments in your life where that's gonna be hard to believe and feel. And so whatever it is for you this week to be able to take this thought away and know that the truths that are exclaimed and proclaimed here in Psalm 139 are true all the time. And to get yourself in a position to be able to say, God, let me believe, help me believe, help my unbelief, remind me of those truths, help me remember. Two questions this week, how can you persevere in the promises of Psalm 139? How can you stand whole and, and stand strong and hold on to that God is for you, loves you, knows you, and made you? And then finally, will you do the hard work of asking God to search you and know you? To search you and know you. Because the all-knowing, all-powerful God and his relentless pursuit are not interferences to be avoided, but a friendship, a companionship, a relationship to be experienced, to be received and accepted. Amen.